Heavenly Father, what a blessed thing it is for us to bow and to praise you, to think back about the crucifixion, the love that drew you to the cross, the power and grace, the fact that, Lord, as God, you had the authority to forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. And Lord Jesus, you're living a perfect life, made you the perfect lamb. And in dying, we shall never die. In your dying, we did die. And in your resurrection, we live forever. So we come today to rejoice in this wonderful season in which we focus on your coming into the world. But Lord, we don't want to forget the reason why. Open our hearts that we might behold wondrous things from your law, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Lizzie had a group of good friends, about 20 of them, and they loved every Christmas season to get together for a night of wonderful friendship. They would uh, bake cookies. They wouldn't buy presents for everyone. That was a little too expensive, but they would exchange cards and just have a, a wonderful evening. Everyone, every year, looked forward to it, and rarely did anyone miss. But it was a busy season for Lizzie, and she wasn't able to get out and pick up the things she wanted to or even to bake. And then she got sick. So sick, she couldn't get out of the house. And so sick, she missed the festive night with her friends. She finally got well. I think it was the day before Christmas. And so she decided to hurry off to the gift store and buy cards for all of her friends and send them to the friends since she missed the party. Well, she got to the store and the cards were well picked over and the ones left were pretty poor. But she found a box of 25, just the right number. And they looked in pristine condition. Beautiful color on the front, trimmed with gold. Everything was perfect. She grabbed them and took them home. She quickly wrote in every card just this brief message with love, Lizzie and then sealed them and sent them off. The one thing she didn't do was read the message inside. Oh no. It, it wasn't until New Year's Day where she had a couple of the cards left over. She noticed them sitting on the table. She picked it up and read one of the cards and it said, this Christmas card is just to say, a little present is on the way. <laughs> so she hurried out to the store. <laughs> you know, sometimes we do things that we don't intend to do. And the outcome is humorous, disastrous, whatever it might be. But I want you to know that with God, there is no movement or action or or event that he's involved with. There's nothing in the work of God that doesn't have clear intentionality to it. And that is true with the birth of Jesus Christ. All the events surrounding the birth of Christ that we think 
are uh, unfortunate, like the rumors about Mary and Joseph not knowing the truth about the involvement of God, or the hard trip down to Bethlehem, or the fact that there was no room for them in the inn. All these things that we think are negatives are divinely positive and were intended. God wasn't just reacting to the situation and seeing what was going to happen and Oh no, none of their friends are going to welcome them into their home in Bethlehem, so I, I better get a stable ready. No, this was all God's intention. And I want to direct your attention to one of the epistles of Paul. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, where he tells us in verse 15 that the coming of Christ was clearly intentional. 1 Timothy 115. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, or depending on your translation, of whom I am chief. Notice that 1 Timothy chapter 1 starts out with this here is a trustworthy saying or a faithful saying. You'll find about five of those in the scriptures, all in the writings of Paul, and they seem to be a collection of pithy statements that reflect the core and heart of Christian belief. The word faithful means, uh, means reliable, uh, trustworthy, but also the idea that these are well-known, maybe part of an ancient hymn or a creed that everyone knew, the faithful sayings that refer to the core of the gospel. Now, you might say, well, isn't all the Bible reliable? Why do you have to say this is a faithful saying as though it implies that the others are not? Well, it just simply elevates this core teaching and the idea that it says it is worthy of full acceptance or deserves full acceptance means that the message itself, the content, is fully reliable, but it deserves to be received by everyone. J.B. Phillips said, uh, completely reliable and should be universally accepted. To embrace the full message and to have all the people believe it, or believe all that is said, and then all should believe the saying and embrace it. A faithful saying. He's going to mention another one in chapter three, verse one, in chapter four, verse nine, and then in 2 Timothy 2.11, this is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. But this is the first one. And we reckon it as reliable as we do all the word of God, but especially important for us to grasp this truth. And what is it? Well, number one, the Apostle Paul recalls an amazing event. Jesus Christ came into the world. Jesus Christ came into the world. We'll stop right there. That's the amazing event. All of Christianity is connected with historical events. Creation, birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, 
transfiguration of Christ. These things happened in time historically. And some of them even verified by secular historical documents, like the death of Christ. So the Bible tells us that this was an event that happened in time when God invaded the world. Now clearly, it is implied that Jesus existed before he came into the world. He was there somewhere else, and then he came to us. You're sitting around at uh, dinner, maybe Thanksgiving, and one of your family members is engaged and you've not met the person and so everyone's waiting and finally that person arrives and they come into the room. They, he came into the room. He was somewhere else before. You didn't know him, but now he appears and you see him and he's with you. He's come and you have the opportunity to get to know him. And so it was with Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And so he is the one who was made flesh, a few verses later. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came to us. And he revealed to us the glory of the Father. And he was the one and only son who was full of grace and truth. So when we talk about Christmas, we have to remember this invasion of God into the human race. Christmas is nothing if it's about a normal couple having a baby the normal way in just an unusual place. That means absolutely nothing. And when we, when we look at the story and forget the message behind it, we do violence to the heart of God. This is the story about the incarnation. I love the fact that we have, just off to my left, this wonderful saying, God with us. And there's one word that describes that phrase, right? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. So, we understand from the scriptures that Jesus is the gift of God to the human race. God so loved the world that he gave the best gift at all, of all. He sent his son. And when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, it says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable, or indescribable gift. That Greek word is found only one time in all of the text of scripture, it's right there. And it means something that you can't explain. How can you go to the depths of the character of Christ and the love of God that sent him? It's indescribable. That's why preachers spend 30 minutes every Sunday describing it. Or trying to, to get close. To understand the love of God for sinners. 
What a great gift. You know, sometimes I get nostalgic and I look back at home movies. My dad put them all together based on Christmases so I can watch 10 Christmases in 15 minutes. And it is both humbling and uh, heart-touching. But it always reminds me of some of the bad Christmases. I mean, most of them were really good, but I remember the, the one Christmas I was sick. I was in kindergarten, and there was a gift exchange at the school, and I didn't get to go, so my brother brought home my gift, and I was very excited. I still remember looking through the back window as Bob traced across the snow with my gift in hand. Remember, I, I'm in kindergarten, and I opened up the gift, and it was a set of cufflinks. I didn't know what they were, actually, for a five-year-old. That might have been the same Christmas when my grandma had boxed a big gift. I mean, it was probably this long, this high. It was, it was amazing. And, and I was so excited to get that gift from grandma. And then I opened it up, and it was a blanket. Now, that's a bad gift for a five-year-old. It's not that you don't need one, but it's inappropriate. You're not thinking of the person to whom you're giving a gift. And so I remember that, and, and, and I still remember my dad saying, tell her thanks, tell her thanks. And I think I did, but without heart. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord appropriate, meeting our greatest need. Wesley said, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity, pleased as man to men with pleased as man, with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us, Christ came into the world. That's the first thing. The second thing is that Paul reveals God's purpose for this event when he says, Christ Jesus came into the world, and this is a faithful saying worthy of full acceptance, he came into the world to save sinners. It was a whole rescue operation. Now, if Christ came into the world implies his preexistence, Christ coming into the world to save sinners implies our depravity, our condemnation. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world because we were already condemned. He came to save us, John 3, 16 and 17. He was on a mission to seek and to save that which is lost. And that is the heart behind the coming of Christ. Mark 2.17, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus came for the sick. Jesus came, the incarnation, with a purpose, atonement, and redemption. And as we stated before, it makes it very appropriate then for us to have communion along with a celebration of Christmas. 
because of this divine intentionality. The scriptures tell us that it was good in the sight of God to send his son to be the savior of the world. Just as he created everything, stepped back and said it is good, so he sent his son and said it is good. It clearly implies our great need of forgiveness. One of the things that canceling culture is affecting is people's view of themselves. It's now distorted so that you should not say anything bad about yourself at all. You should not examine yourself. Everything about yourself is good and should be celebrated. Every desire, even actions, there are very few actions that are bad. But the Bible says something very different. And when you live in a dream world, imagining things that are not true, you cannot ever find the depth of peace and purpose which you long for. It must start out with these words. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. Oh, you say to me, but pastor, I'm not as bad as the person sitting next to me. I'm not as bad as, as the people on my block. I'm certainly not as bad as my mate. I'm not as bad as my family. There's a lot of people that I am. I am more righteous, and I'm kinder, and more loving, and that all may be true but it doesn't make any difference because you're comparing yourself with the wrong persons. Compare yourself with Jesus. Compare yourself with perfection. You say, well, no one's perfect. That's the point. But you've got to get a better understanding of no one's perfect. Everyone is a condemned sinner. You say, well, I wouldn't go that far. Well, then you never can be saved, never. Until you see how bad you are, you'll never see how great Christ is. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Are you one? A sinner in desperate need of saving? That's the Christmas story. And it is bothersome, although I appreciate people celebrating Christmas. And I love the songs being played in the stores banks and other places. That's wonderful. But it is a bit bothersome to see people so happy celebrating a Christmas without Christ. Because they're missing the point. But then Paul says something else. He says, this is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So he starts out by recalling this amazing event, and then secondly, he reveals God's purpose for that amazing event, and then finally, he relates the amazing event to himself. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am. And the Greek word is protos, first or foremost. Sometimes the translation is chief. 
The translation here is the very worst. Now I ask you the question, is that true? Was Paul the very worst sinner of all? Is it a scientific fact? Did Paul go through all the records of criminals in the past and compare himself with everyone who has gone before and come to the conclusion that he indeed was the very worst? Well, I don't think so. But it's this thing where you and I, when we come to Christ, we feel ourselves so great of a sinner that we stop comparing ourselves with others. And it's hard to imagine that someone could be worse. Paul said he was the least of all the apostles, 1 Corinthians 15, the least of all saints, Ephesians chapter 3, and now the chief or foremost of all sinners. I like what John Stott has to say about this. The truth is rather that when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit of our sin, an immediate result is that we give up all such comparisons to others. Paul was so vividly aware of his own sins that he could not conceive that anyone else could be worse. Here is the language of every sinner whose conscience has been awakened and disturbed by the Spirit. We may begin like the Pharisee in the parable of Jesus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. But we always end like the tax collector who beat his breast and said literally, God have mercy on me, the sinner. The Pharisee indulged his odious comparisons, but as far as the tax collector was concerned, there was no other sinner to compare himself. He was the sinner. <coughs> Excuse me. If you go on comparing yourselves with others to make yourself feel good, you don't understand the gospel. Because the only way you can feel good is by saying you are a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. And to experience the forgiveness of sin based on the death of Christ on the cross and the intentional atonement that he made with his blood. Now Paul was bad if you go up a few verses to verse 12. Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although formerly I was a blasphemer the words he spoke, and a persecutor, the deeds he enacted. And I was insolent, a very interesting word, found, only, uh, found in, in two places in the New Testament, but it means injurious. It's the idea of being rude and arrogant to the point of harming people. And Paul did that as he went to different places, throwing Christians into prison. But I obtained mercy. The grace of God was exceedingly abundant. And love and faith were found in Christ. Which leads me to say one more thing, quickly. Verse 16, he now relates this one event to all of us. However, for, the reason, for this reason I obtain mercy, Paul said, 
This is one of the reasons I was saved. As bad as I was, and he was bad, Jesus saved me so that he might show his patience or his long-suffering to you. I became a pattern for everyone who would believe afterward. Coming to faith in Christ early in the ministry of Christ or in the age of Christ, while uh, right after his resurrection, Paul then becomes a wonderful example for all of us to see that if Jesus can save the worst of all, he can save everyone else. I think the reason for the incarnation is greater than just that, or the, the reason for Paul's salvation greater than just that. It's his own personal redemption, but he's an example for us and the very example we need today. Chief of sinners though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. Died that I might live on high and lives that I might never die. Remember the connection between communion and Christmas, the cradle and the cross. Let's pray. Father, this morning, draw us to the Savior, wounded for us, bleeding for us, died for us, and rose again that we might never die. In his name, we praise you. Amen.